Chapter Four of George Washington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. George Washington by Callista McCabe Courtney. Chapter Four. Declaration of Independence signed. Battle of Long Island. Battle of White Plains. Washington crosses the Delaware and surprises the Hessians at Trenton. Seventeen seventy six to seventeen seventy seven. Let us now consider some events which had taken place elsewhere in the country. Before Washington had been made commander-in-chief, Ethan Allen, with the Green Mountain Boys, so-called because they came from Vermont, the Green Mountain State, had surprised and taken, without a fight, Fort Ticonderoga in eastern New York. Shortly after, Crown Point on Lake Champlain was captured by Colonel Benedict Arnold. The capture of these two British forts opened the way to Canada. While Washington was building up the army and besieging Boston, an expedition against Montreal and Quebec was planned. General Richard Montgomery, who commanded a force on Lake Champlain, marched up to Montreal, which surrendered November 1775, without a struggle. Benedict Arnold was sent, with about twelve hundred men from Boston, to join Montgomery's forces in the attack on Quebec. They were to make their way up the Kennebec River and through the dense Maine woods. Arnold was a brave soldier, and led his men through hardships and perils, through snow and ice and over frozen mountains, until they reached Quebec. On the last day of December, with the ground frozen and covered with snow, the two American armies made a combined attack on the city. But Quebec did not surrender, though the patriots fought with desperate courage and daring. The gallant Montgomery led his men up the heights, dashing forward with the cry, "'Push on, my brave boys! Quebec is ours!' A volley from a cannon killed him, and scattered his men. The Americans suffered terrible losses. In the death of General Montgomery, America lost one of her bravest soldiers and truest gentlemen. He was deeply mourned in England as well as in America. Benedict Arnold also was beaten back. His leg was shattered by a musket-ball, but he bravely fortified his position, and with five hundred men besieged Quebec. He wrote, "'I am in the way of my duty, and I know no fear.' As the weeks passed, the men grew weary and homesick. They suffered untold hardships from want of food, clothing, and shelter, and from the bitter cold of the Canadian winter. Though Arnold and his men fought bravely, Quebec did not fall into the hands of the Americans. Their attacks were repulsed by the British forces in command of the city. Shortly after the capture of Boston, Washington brought his army to New York, as he feared the British might take that city. He sent General Putnam to fortify New York and the Hudson River, and he followed, gathering troops on the way. When he arrived, he fortified Brooklyn Heights, Long Island, and put General Greene in command. He had only about eight thousand men to garrison the forts about New York. The same troubles from short enlistments, lack of discipline, and supplies had to be met. Washington was freely giving himself to the just and righteous cause of American freedom, and he would not be discouraged even by want of spirit and obedience in his troops. There was another difficulty. All over the country, and especially in New York, many persons, called Tories, were still loyal to King George the Third, and Washington feared treachery from them. The British fleet, however, had not gone to New York, but up to Halifax. General Howe and his army waited in Halifax for ships and men from England. With their help he expected to drive the Americans out of New York and away from the Hudson River. England intended to crush the colonies, and hire German troops, called Hessians in addition to her own forces, 
It was now a year since the Battle of Lexington was fought, and Washington feared that the war would be a long one. He went to Philadelphia to consult with Congress. To succeed against the British, the colonies, he knew, must work together in earnest for their common liberty. The army must have regular pay and supplies, and the men must promise to serve as long as needed. Congress established a war office, and ordered that the term of enlistment be for three years. Washington returned to New York, and soon afterwards a conspiracy, plot, among the Tories was discovered. Many arrests were made. A member of Washington's bodyguard was found to be in the plot, and he was hanged. While this was going on, the British fleet arrived in the harbor. There were one hundred and thirty ships. The troops, thirty thousand, were landed on Staten Island. Washington was very uneasy with this large force before him, and he knew not how many treacherous Tories about him. For a year the Americans had been fighting on account of unjust laws and taxes, but England had grown still more severe and unfair, until many began to believe that the only hope for peace and prosperity in the colonies was in their union with one another and their separation from England. Washington had hoped that the trouble with the mother country might be peaceably settled, but the time had now come when he urged Congress to declare the independence of the colonies and throw off the British yoke. While he, in New York, was facing foes within and without, Congress in Philadelphia was discussing this great question behind locked doors. Anxious throngs crowded the streets, waiting for the decision. At last, on the 4th of July, 1776, the Liberty Bell in the State House Tower rang out the glad tidings that Congress had adopted the Declaration of Independence. Washington was overjoyed when a messenger brought him the word. On the evening of July ninth, he had his army drawn up to hear the Declaration read before each brigade. He said he hoped that it would inspire each man to live and act with courage, as became a Christian soldier defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. The people of New York tore down a statue of King George, and melted it into bullets for the army. There was not much time for rejoicing, however, considering that the British ships were in New York harbor. Among them was the flagship of Lord Richard Howe, admiral of the British Navy and brother of General Howe. He came with a proposal of peace from England, and tried to deliver it in the form of a message addressed to George Washington. Washington, resenting this insult, refused to receive the message, and did not accept it until it was returned properly addressed to General George Washington. Congress thanked him for making the British respect the dignity of his office. America had decided to be free at any cost, and while her cause did not look very promising, it was too late to talk about peace. Washington knew his forces were not strong enough to defend New York. The enemy had its great fleet, and thousands of men already on land, with thousands more coming. Washington had brought the army up to fifteen thousand men, but hesitated to rely on this force. He was still troubled by jealousies among the officers and among the troops from the different colonies, although he tried to show them that honor and success depended on self-forgetfulness and working together for the cause. The militia could not be counted on, and could be called out only for special occasions. Whole companies would leave at the end of their enlistment, even though they were greatly needed. We cannot always be proud of this fighting force, though it showed splendid courage when really in action. The men had not learned that a brave soldier does not quit, but patiently endures hardships. At best, Washington's army was too small to strongly fortify any one place about New York. He had no idea where the British would attack first, and so had spread the army out until it was a long, weak line. On August 26th and 27th, 
1776, the enemy surrounded the fortifications at Brooklyn on Long Island. The Americans fought with great bravery, but were outnumbered and defeated. About two thousand were killed, wounded, or captured. Regiments had hurried to their help from points nearby, and most of the army was finally on Long Island. Fearing his whole force would be destroyed, Washington decided to withdraw to New York, which he did in the night under cover of heavy rain, wind, and fog. He had not slept for two days and nights, and had hardly been out of the saddle. But he watched the men embark with all their belongings, and he himself went in the last boat. When the British soldiers awoke in the morning, they were amazed to find that the whole American army had disappeared. It was important for Washington to know what the next move of the British would be. Captain Nathan Hale, a fine young officer, volunteered to act as spy. He succeeded in passing through the enemy's lines and making notes and drawings, but on his way back he was captured by the British. On September 22, 1776, this noble patriot was hanged. His last words, while standing on the scaffold, were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. The army in New York was in great danger of being surrounded and captured by the British, whose gunboats bombarded all the forts. More than half of the population of the city were Tories, and several thousand of the militia had deserted. Washington was kind of heart and did not blame them too much, but he knew that his force was too small to hold the city of New York. So he began to withdraw to the northern end of Manhattan Island. The British moved upon the city and found it easy to land, because the soldiers, left to defend the first fort they attacked, ran off in confusion. Washington, hearing the shots, galloped into their midst and tried to rally them, but they scattered like frightened rabbits. Washington lost his temper, and throwing his hat on the ground he exclaimed, Are these the men with whom I am to defend America? He would have been killed or captured by the oncoming British if one of his officers had not seized the bridle of his horse and dragged him away. The main body of the American army soon assembled in a strong camp on the rocky heights near King's Bridge, defended by Fort Washington. Here they were attacked by the British, September 1776, when the regular Continental troops fought valiantly and proved victorious, wiping out the disgrace of the retreat which put General Howe in possession of New York. This success greatly strengthened the army. The Americans had repulsed the British at King's Bridge, but Lord Howe sent gunboats up the Hudson River to cut off Washington from his supplies, which were stored in Connecticut. Washington thought he might be forced to surrender if he remained, so he decided to leave a garrison at Fort Washington and take the army into camp at White Plains, New York. A great many of his men were sick or wounded, and the hospital arrangements were poor and insufficient. The disabled men were lying in crowded sheds, stables, and any other place of shelter that could be found. Washington did all he could to relieve their sufferings, and in a letter to Congress he begged for better pay for the men and better supplies. He also urged that a call be made for men who would enlist for the entire term of war, however long it might be. A British officer wrote to a friend in London, The rebel army is so wretched. I believe no nation ever saw such a set of tattered demillions, ragged fellows. There are few coats among them, but are out at the elbows, and in a whole regiment there is hardly a sound pair of breeches. How they must be pinched by the winter! We who are warmly clothed feel it severely. The camp at White Plains was attacked by the British, with heavy loss on both sides, and Washington again withdrew his men in the night and entrenched himself at North Castle on the east side of the Hudson. The British did not follow him, and this left Washington in doubt as to what their next move would be. 
he left a part of the troops in camp stationed a strong force in the highlands to defend the hudson river and with the rest of his army crossed into new jersey opposite fort washington from this point he saw general howe capture fort washington and without power to prevent it beheld his brave men bayoneted by the cruel german soldiers the supplies and the survivors of the garrison about twenty eight hundred men fell into the hands of the enemy november sixteenth seventeen seventy six following this lord charles cornwallis led six thousand british across the river and attacked washington's forces obliging him to retreat across new jersey over the delaware river and into pennsylvania washington had with him but three thousand soldiers ragged and half starved but they loved their commander and were ready to make any sacrifice for him and their country he had sent orders to general charles lee to bring reinforcements from the north but lee was in no hurry to obey lord howe who was anxious for peace issued an order for all americans to lay down their arms and go home for congress to break up and he promised pardon for every one if the order was obeyed a great many were faint-hearted enough to give up even though america had sacrificed so much for freedom but washington was undaunted and remained true to his purpose to free the colonies he cheered his suffering soldiers and after securing reinforcements from the militia of new jersey and pennsylvania he took his stand at a point across the delaware river opposite trenton he seized all the boats on the river and when lord cornwallis marched into trenton there were no boats for his troops and they could not cross the river to attack the americans leaving hessian troops to guard trenton cornwallis withdrew to wait until ice should bridge the river for him these german or hessian soldiers were hated by the americans on account of their cruelty and because they were fighting for pay it was evident that the british intended to attack philadelphia and general putnam was sent to defend it congress took fright and moved to baltimore the british held new york and washington knew the people would lose heart if philadelphia should also be taken general lee's forces at last arrived though the general himself because of his carelessness and laziness had been captured on the way with this reinforcement and with forces commanded by generals gates and sullivan which had joined him washington intended to surprise the garrison in trenton he divided his army into three detachments and planned to cross the delaware on christmas night because he knew the german soldiers would be drinking and frolicking on that holiday washington himself led about twenty four hundred men with artillery to a crossing at a point nine miles up the river the night was dark and stormy it was hailing and snowing and bitter cold the river was filled with drifting cakes of ice which imperiled the boats the crossing was extremely dangerous and it took more than ten hours to get the troops and their guns on the other side when he arrived washington found the other two detachments had not started so his forces alone surprised the hessians completely captured trenton and took a thousand prisoners messengers were dispatched to call the army from the hudson and to gather the new jersey militia when these forces were assembled washington again crossed the icy river into pennsylvania but returned and occupied trenton a few days later lord cornwallis who had come down in a hurry from princeton planned to bag the fox in the morning but he found the fox had been too sly for him for washington leaving his campfires burning had quietly led his army off at dead of night by a rough and roundabout way to princeton at sunrise january third seventeen seventy seven he surprised and put to flight the regiment of british which had started out from princeton to help cornwallis at trenton meanwhile cornwallis awoke to find his fox gone and he set out for princeton 
arriving just as the Patriots had completed the destruction of the bridge leading to the town. Washington pushed on, destroying the bridges as he went. His men were nearly exhausted when at last they reached camp at Morristown, where Washington established headquarters, so he could guard the road between New York and Philadelphia, and keep Cornwallis shut up in New Brunswick and Amboy, New Jersey. Congress thanked Washington, and great soldiers all over the world praised him for the wonderful way in which he had led his soldiers out of the enemy's pitfalls, and turned defeat to victory. Many colonists, who had seen no hope of success, now believed that Washington's generalship would triumph. Congress gave him full military authority, and he issued a proclamation, ordering all who were loyal to the King to go to the British camp, and all others to take the oath of allegiance to the United States. End of chapter 4. Recording by Bill Borst.